This week's one-off, Star Trek Discovery, Season 1, Episode 4, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. How important to you is an episode title? I don't think it's that important uh, when I go into the show, but I... Because uh, I don't think episode titles were really a part of my, my origin watching television. Like they would just kind of flash on the screen at the beginning, but you never really paid attention to it. And it's not until now when I go back and rewatch things that, that I actually know them by title, if that makes sense. Right. So I don't think they're they're super important for my enjoyment of the show. But when I see an episode title and it is like a perfect kind of poetry of the episode or like a perfect summation of the episode... Uh, and I see it after the fact or or nowadays before, and, and it fits really well, I love it. So I don't know if that answers that question. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's that's more or less kind of how I approach it. I am not somebody who has known a lot of titles. I think the first time that I've watched most of the things that I've watched, I didn't know the episode titles. And part of that's because they aren't a, an important part of the viewing experience. It's not like in a lot of shows in the 90s, the title actually flashed on the screen before the episode. Yeah, I think they did for Star Trek, right? Like, did they? Yeah, I think they would in the top like right-hand corner. It would flash up on the screen with like quotation marks around it or something. Okay. Uh, and you'd see it like sometime in like the opening credits or whatever. Or like the opening sequence when they're talking and doing things. And then in the corner it just shows the thing. Or there's like a ship flying in space and it just shows the title. I think. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm misremembering, but I think I think episode titles are are beautiful when they work really well. Like this one was uh, the butcher's, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. What a title! What a great title that was. What a, yeah, I, I looked it up because I was like, is that a reference to something? And I don't think it is. I think they just made it up. It's it's so poetic and it's it's got this wonderful beauty to it and it's it. It really evokes a feeling in me, but I can't quite even place what that feeling is, you know? Yeah, no, it makes me think, yeah, because it's it's a tool. The tool is just doing its job. It doesn't care how much it hurts. Yeah. But I, uh, I did struggle watching the episode. I was like, how does that really fit in with this episode? And I didn't see it right away. And so I was like, huh, it is a nice title, though. <laughs> and I'm still not sure exactly what it means in relation to this title. Or to this episode, I—I I mean, I—I've—I've I've got a, a theory that it's—it's it's about the relationship of the crew and the captain in general to uh, to the alien creature that they're they're using. Yeah, the monster. Yeah, the monster mm-hmm. that is the alien, the xenomorph. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the thing that is is really the lamb in this episode. This this mm-hmm. docile creature that uh, doesn't want to. I don't know, be stabbed with pointy sticks. See, that's funny because I totally thought the creature might be the butcher's knife because it's it's just doing what it does and it doesn't care that it's killed people. It wasn't, you know, the crying Klingons didn't bother it. Oh, that's such a that's a lovely little little way to take mm-hmm. it too. Yeah, but you can't blame the creature. It's just it's just a butcher's knife. Yeah, it's just a knife. I like it. I like that's that is as <laughs> good a justification for the title. But And also because he had claws. So claws, knives, you know, same thing. Okay. Okay, you ruined the poetry of it right there. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and and his skin was kind of like wool, and so it it's kind of like a um, but but that was the thing. We're watching this. I was so distracted by the great title that I think I was let down, like just again and again throughout the episode, where I felt like the episode didn't really deliver on the promise of the title in any any grand way for me and mm -hmm. even when finally i'm like oh this is what the title could be i'm like oh that's kind of a letdown yeah i didn't mind i think it was fine i think i think because i think again it's just a nice title <sighs> yeah it's a great title it's a great title and whether the show lives up to it or not i don't know i don't know if it could anything can't live no nothing can live up to that title Th that may be the problem maybe the title is just too great and and there's no there's no getting over or living up to it Okay, so speaking of living up to things and things being great, this is the first Star Trek show we, that has been out in a while mm -hmm. since Enterprise uh, was sort of a disappointment to most people. <laughs> not not going to say it was a disappointment, but most people found it disappointing. My question to you is how how can you make something new that still feels old? If that makes sense. like Because Star Trek needs to still feel like Star Trek but needs to be new and I think this show is trying to do that and I don't know if they're totally succeeding or not but I want to know what do you think what do you think how do you make something new that still has that feeling of old it, it's different than a remake like an, an out and out remake a remake kind of gets to get rid of the old baggage and just revamp it for an updated time period yeah update i think is the best word yeah yeah just like we're updating it we're, we're taking out the old things and replacing with new things but yeah. this isn't this is yeah but keep going well i mean that makes me think of the miami vice movie which i hated despite loving the miami vice tv show and it's because the the Miami Vice movie was really it, it didn't have any of the campiness, it didn't have any of the same fun of the original series. It was just an action movie that happened to share the same title as a TV yeah. series. Mm -hmm. And so the 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 question is how do you take something that existed in, you know, the the turn of the uh, I guess sixties, seventies? And had kind of a very campy, optimistic view of the future and translate that to 2017 where we don't have a lot of optimistic television. We, we in fact, kind of laugh at some of the... One of the reasons why Star Trek The Next Generation even is hard to watch is kind of how naive they were about the world and the universe. And so how do you drag that sensibility to, to where we are now in a world where terrorism is the defining myth mm -hmm. and i think that this show walks a fine line with that where they try and have these characters that have these really kind of pure star trek ideals there are scientists and 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 explorers who want to view the world and learn and and kind of are the light-hearted touch but then you also have the harsh knife characters who who are saying well we live in a world where you don't get the luxury of, you know, just sitting and looking in your microscope. We've got to deal with the Klingons. And I don't know. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like it bridges those two pretty well. Yeah. And it's pretty, yeah. I, 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 to me, the, the cool metaphor is that the ship is called Discovery, mm -hmm. which is kind of like that is what this whole show is about, is about discovering and, and exploration and discovering the universe and new worlds and all that sort of stuff. So they named the ship Discovery so that it's always about discovery. But then 
put it as it's a it's like a brand new warship like it's got war capabilities and can go fight and so like it's this warring discovery ship which i think is i assume is going to be one of the main themes throughout the whole thing of, of we shouldn't be at war we should be we're explorers not soldiers like yeah i feel like that's going to be one of the big themes of this show yeah so so my thought on old and new because this is something i think tng did really well sorry for those who don't know the next generation was doing a episodic spaceship people exploring planets that was kind of campy but making it feel new with new characters and different aliens and and uh and like you know like a new version of that old show which i thought they did really well but what they didn't do well was do what our now even past in our modern day sort of television watching is very is not episodic anymore right yeah and so if they made another sort of TNG sort of show where it's like a whole new crew, but it's just episodic, it's going to feel too old for us. And it's going to be old, right? It's not getting to that new, what new, what television is now. And so I think Deep Space Nine did that new thing well with the storytelling because it was all like a, it was one long, big story and didn't feel episodic as much. Still a little episodic, but not as episodic. The story was still told throughout all of those. And this show, I feel like, is trying to do that more new, like, Sopranos or <laughs> Game of Thrones-style narrative with none of the episodic elements of the old show and also none of the campiness of the old show. So it feels totally new. Does that make sense? It, it does, although I think one of the parts about it that kind of still fits into the camp is is the kind of I want to say like the the idealistic characters and the the world that they live like there's something about some of these scenes that kind of feel campy to me like the the last shot of the planet that they go and save where it's like oh who saved us and it's this family and it's kind of mm -hmm. like there, there's something about it that feels like it's trying to grab at a sort of campiness but you're right it's completely new and different yeah, so this is where I don't know if they succeeded in making something new that still feels old or has that old. It's almost like they've just like if if uh, if it wasn't called Star Trek, and it wasn't, and they they weren't called the Federation, mm -hmm. and they weren't like using the the blue for science officers and the same colors as all the other shows, and they didn't have the emblems. Like if you took out all the like, the just changed the words to something else, it's it would be hard to know if this was Star Trek. Yeah. Because it, because it's yeah, it's like, yeah, it 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 it's it's uh it's not a episodic television show exploring new worlds and and things like that. It's it's a epic kind of war between two races. It definitely this feels like Star Trek informed by the new Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a place for that. And you're right to point to something like Deep Space Nine, which walked a line right deep space nine wasn't so much about exploring strange new worlds it was about you know politics uh, during a cold war mm -hmm. and which which is kind of an interesting choice given that you know the next generation took place right at the end of the cold war uh and and in the kind of new world that that arose out of it but but you're right in that it's in some ways, hard to see exactly where Gene Roddenberry's ideals 
are are in this show and Gene Roddenberry's kind of love of of really campy science fiction is in this show. Yeah, like like the term spiritual successor to a show, right? Where it like carries the spirit of the show forward but changes some of it, which like, you know, you might say TNG was a spiritual successor to to Star Trek even though it wasn't because it was actually like just a straight up successor because yeah, because Kirk lived in their show. <laughs> uh scotty visited the enterprise but this feels like it's it's like a i don't know like a like it takes the same context of the show but it doesn't really take the spirit of the show right it 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 takes some of the ideas uh from the show and like the concepts and the context and all that but then it totally is like but we're gonna do something completely different with it and it's great and i don't think that makes it good or bad i just think that's 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 just what i was thinking of like does this really feel like a star trek show it feels like something totally different it makes this makes me feel like I felt watching Frasier. <laughs> in, in well, in that Cheers is fundamentally about a community rooted around a place, yeah, and and about the relationships that arise about that. And Frasier takes that idea and says, none of that matters. What we're more interested in is taking one of the key characters and uprooting them and seeing the kind of hijinks that they get up to. Yeah. So like this really shouldn't have been called Star Trek Discovery because the ship really isn't doesn't seem at least doesn't seem based on this episode like the important part. It should be called like the girl named Michael. Right. Right. Because it's actually about the character of Michael. uh, What's the last name? Burnham. Michael Burnham. It should be about Michael Burnham because that like maybe it would be called better called Michael. (laughs) Like that's the name of the show. Like like Fraser. (laughs) Well, and and that that's one of the tricky things here is it. It seems like we have a main character that we're following as well, and in that's the, not a Star Trek thing. Yeah, where I mean, you can see that certainly in the films more so, but in the in the TV series, it's about crew and camaraderie and and coming together for this shared mission. Yeah, like like how the old shows would have like Klingon episodes or Ferengi episodes or an episode all about Wesley, you know, where the, where Picard's hardly in it. I don't know if this show can have an episode that isn't about Michael Burnham. And even further, like we're our episodes are taking place both on the Discovery, but then also following this Klingon leader. Yeah. And and the stories are are connected through threads, but they're not directly connected through the narrative of an episode. And that's kind of new to Star Trek too. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like Game of Thrones. Almost like Game of Thrones, which we know very well. We both love Game of Thrones. We watch it all the time. <laughs> huge, huge fan. Huge fan, right? Nice. Cool. Okay, sorry. We, we've been talking so much about the show and spiritual successors. Let's let's talk about something else. Okay, well, I, yeah. Go, no, no, you, you, you go. I got something big I want to talk about here. Okay, well, I was going to ask, do you watch TV or movies or consume your media with subtitles on? Yes. You do? Oh, no, I don't. Oh, you mean like always? Yeah. No, no, no. Only if I need them. Like, I don't watch French films in French. Like if that answers you much, so I turn them on if they're necessary. But otherwise, I don't. Like, like uh, why do you have them on all the time? I leave subtitles on at all times, unless at all times, uh, unless I'm rewatching something that I'm trying to watch for the cinematic value. Wow, you know who does that? Who does that? My mom. Your mom does Cause, that because she can't hear very well. Okay, well, I can I can hear just <laughs> fine. It's not sure you can. It's mm-hmm. not a problem with my hearing. It's, it's interesting. 
well, and it made me while watching this, it made me me think about how important subtitles have become for my just general enjoyment of a show. Mm -hmm. I I like to be able to know precisely what the characters are saying, and I don't mind if it spoils a sentence, you know, half a sentence ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I like I like being able to very clearly follow what's going on. And in, and in watching this, I was frustrated with the subtitles for the Klingons, uh, which are on screen, which you had to have watched, which flash by very quickly. Yeah, some of the, like the, the last monologues she said to him was a little too quick. I couldn't really see. I, I think I missed some of it. Well, and, it, and uh, it's hard to read, and so it's hard to follow, and so it's... Because it was like white text on just whatever background, so if there was a white background, it was really hard to see. <laughs> <laughs> the drop shadow wasn't enough to make it stand up. Yeah, yeah. And so you miss something and you have to either rewind or just try and figure along out of context what they're saying. Yeah, I kind of let it just go by without out of context. It was fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I got the gist of it. Klingons are angry and at war trying to unite, you know, Klingon forever, blah, blah, blah. I get it. They're doing what Klingons do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess that points to the, the kind of difference with the way we watch, because for me, I want to capture all of the text of what's being said. I really mm-hmm. want to know in when I'm watching something exactly what's being said so that I have the the whole story as it was as the dialogue presents it. Yeah. And I guess me, I, I just have a very good uh, we've talked about this on other shows we do, but my memory for dialogue in movies is pretty high. Yeah. My success rate on on retaining information is pretty high, especially because it's when it's it's something I'm watching while they're saying it. The visual and the audio audio connect really well for me, mm-hmm. and so subtitles like like uh, here's my problem with the Klingons in this episode, and just what what I I call the Star Trek problem. I think is what it's been referred to, of all these different aliens speaking uh, di- different languages. How do they communicate? Mm-hmm. And like Star Trek just solved that by everyone just speaks English. And if anyone asks why, it's because of a universal communicator. Cool. Are we cool with that? We're cool with that. Good. Move forward. And Klingons have always broken that rule sometimes. Yeah. You know, like they speak Klingon, but they speak English, but then they'll like trans- transfer into to Klingon sometimes. And it's like, why didn't the universal translator catch that word? But this, ep- this, this show, they, they left the Klingons actually speaking in real Klingon because it's an actual language. And I think that was a terrible choice. Yeah. Because it means that anytime the Klingons are watching, you have to read it, or on screen, and you have to read it. And they've made them a very important part of the show. <laughs> and when actors have to speak Klingon, which isn't just like, you can't just do gibberish. Like, you have to actually speak Klingon. They uh, have to learn the lines in Klingon and be able to emote and act them really well, which is fine. But they say every line like this. Cock block. Mock. Lock talk. Shablock, mock, talk, block. And every line sounds exactly like that. That pace with that many pauses between words every once in a while. And it was everything is spoken in that same like speed. And it just makes all of their scenes feel very much like they're all the same. <laughs> they sound the same. They look the same. Uh, and I just have to read the difference. Uh, and I thought it was a terrible choice. I think they should have just had the Klingon speak it in English and just like, you know, universal communicator. <laughs> well, and it makes me think of the difference between uh, between Star Trek, uh, the original series and The Next Generation, where 
you have William Shatner as your captain, who can't really act, but like that campy style that he he he's going for is exactly what the show wants anyway. And then you have Picard, who is a classically trained Shakespearean actor <laughs> at the top of his game, mm -hmm. you know, and he is saying like when he speaks Klingon, he he puts his entire career into a Klingon line. Yeah. And and I think you're right when you point to these actors. They don't like they're just they just happen to be actors who are speaking Klingon. <laughs> yeah, like how uh, it was it was I think it was a horrible choice. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to to care about those scenes or those characters because there is a blandness to all of it. I know. Klingon. You're right. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, it was it was rough. Anyway, that's just what I was trying to get at with my subtitle question. But you had a you had a big question. Oh, I did have a big question. Spore drive. Who whose idea was that? Do you think? I think they I think they needed to brand that better. Uh, I came up with a few options while watching the show. Okay. Because they could have called it like the bacteria engine, right? Or I, I liked cell power. Ooh. <laughs> it was cell powered, right? Like like spore cells. Pretty funny, eh? Uh, and cell like a battery or something. But then as the show went on, I realized what it should have been called. And I think they tried really hard to not call it that, right? Like in the writing room, someone was like, we should call it this. And then everyone else was like, we can't call it that. It's too silly. Is a monster motor. <laughs> because it's actually not powered by spores. It's navigated by a monster. So a monster motor is what the ship has, which I thought they must have tried really hard to not fall into that. Okay, but we didn't know until just now that it was a monster motor. We thought it was a mushroom motor earlier. Ooh, then they should have called it mushroom motor. And then afterwards had someone say, this ain't a mushroom motor. It's a monster motor. Just like that, with that voice. So we'd have to make a new character. Well, and they have a fungus tank. <laughs> hey, nice. Good one. <laughs> I Wow. I'm, I'm just coming up with these on the fly. I think I could do this all day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, I've always wanted to converse with my mushrooms. See, uh, <laughs> but that points to the kind of campy silliness that I think they're still trying to get at in the show. Where they're like, that's a stupid line. Like, that's the, like you would, you would never say that line on Battlestar Galactica. I've always no. wanted to converse with my mushrooms. Yeah, I don't know, but that guy was throwing me off anyway. I was really, he, I couldn't take him seriously because he's from Dazed and Confused. He's one of the nerds. Have you seen Days and Confused? I have, but it's been a while. He's one of the nerds. He's the blonde nerdy kid that ends up like like he's a senior flirting with a junior and like gets her number at the end and he's like really sincere and earnest and kind of awkward and cute. And so I couldn't him as the engineer. I was like, I can't take this guy seriously. <laughs> See, what's funny is that I I have a similar problem taking him seriously, but because he is Anthony Rapp of Rent fame. So, yes, he's also from Rent. Yeah, yeah he's so also from Rent. I mm -hmm. I expect him to be singing about uh, his the documentary film he's making while mm -hmm. while all of his friends are dying around him. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. and also, hey, the guy from the West Wing was in this too. The guy from the West Wing. <laughs> yeah, Jack from CJ's office. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, uh, how do you feel about? that the red-headed roommate the the kind of uh 
I, I want to say annoying, but that's not even the right word for her. The over-eager, you know, cadet character. Yeah, and so my question, which I uh, I hope isn't controversial, is was is she supposed to be uh, on the spectrum? I don't know. Because hmm. the way that she was playing that character, I thought maybe she was, but then... She was too like the, like she was almost comic relief, and I was like, I don't know if that's what they're going for that she's uh, on the spectrum and making her comic relief, or if she's just supposed to be weird. But a lot of what she's doing has the the same behaviors uh, as are associated with autism and people on the autism spectrum, but then also not right. Like, and so I was very like I, I was unsure if that's what they were going for, and then I was really unsure about how I felt about it. For me, I think they're just going, they're, they're trying to make her kind of a weird, quirky character. Mm. And like, I think quirky is the word. Yeah, because she was fast-tracked at the academy because she was so good at theoretical physics. Right, yeah. But then she's really awkward socially and stuff. And I was like, I think they are. And, and it wouldn't surprise me. Like, Star Trek is, like, what they do is break down barriers, right? Like, that's what they do. <laughs> they they put characters, like they, they make characters that are what the modern day would consider uh, the minority the and and put them on the bridge of a starship right like that was what the original they had a russian and a japanese guy and a black woman all on the bridge of a starship together which was groundbreaking and so someone who is autistic being on a starship working in starfleet is a, a wonderful step for star trek to make and so i thought that's what they were doing but then as the sh- episode went on i was like maybe that's not what she's supposed to be I struggle. I think there has been some conversations around the Big Bang Theory and whether its main character is autistic. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I struggle with with the Big Bang Theory is that it's it's all about poking fun at the things that, at the world that it lives in. So like nerd dumb and, and being a nerd and the kinds of things that I grew up, you know, loving mm-hmm. are... It's not done out of love. It's done out of it, it's almost in a sort of bullying sort of way. Yeah, well, I think I think that's also part of the sitcom nature is that sitcoms always poke fun at their reality. Like that's what they do. So so it's part of like making a sitcom about anything. You're going to end up making fun of that thing. And so it kind of has to do that. But continue, because I think your point is not about that. It's about autism. Well, and, and that's a thing. And so the conversation about whether the main character is autistic, I think in, in the sitcom, it gets, it, it feels like it's making fun of autistic people in a way that I think your, your point about Star Trek and it, the way that it breaks barriers, it has the opportunity to do something different. Like it, if the character is autistic and they 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 have her be uh, a character on the show and they just treat her like anyone else, that is breaking down barriers in a way that you're right to point out Star Trek's unique ability to do so. Whereas in a sitcom, it always feels uncomfortable and kind of jokey. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that it, it does feel a little weird if that's what they're going. For. Yeah, and making it comic relief. That's that that was the part that was weird. Was such is she the comic relief? Yeah, because I don't think she should be. She should just be a character on the show. But they make made her. She had a lot of jokey moments. Yeah, like if they had made uh, Lieutenant Uhura a comic relief sort of character on the original series, like it, it it undermined some of the some of the boldness of the gesture. 
Yeah, or Chekhov or Sulu for that matter too. Like if they, it, like I mean, the funny thing about that is that Chekhov in the original series wasn't comic relief at all, right? He was just Ensign Chekhov. He just flew the ship. Yeah. But in the new movies, he is sort of comic relief because he has a Russian accent. Yeah. Because back then we we were like the Russians were the bad guys when the original series came out. And so having a Russian on, on the bridge of a starship was like uniting. And so they didn't make fun of it. Whereas in modern day now, like making fun of the Russians is, is you know, it's more acceptable because we're not in any. Well, now I guess we are. But when the movies first came out, there was no like real conflict with Russia and North America. And so we were making fun of him. Like, does that make sense? Like how in the original series, they made fun of Scotty all the time and his Scottish accent. Like that was comic relief because Scottish people and North Americans were fine. There was no tension. Yeah. And maybe we should just cut this whole conversation. out. <laughs> I mean, there is a part of it that feels like we're coming at it from a very uninformed perspective. Yeah. Well, so this is so I, I we have to talk about diversity in the show, right? Like yeah. we have to. Yeah, and so no, I think that this is a good segue. The, the the character maybe is autistic. I think that's great for diversity. But if it's comic relief, maybe that's a step back. I don't know. Two forward, one back. But the diversity in this show is fantastic. Although what kept standing out to me is that all of the people in charge are still old white people. Yeah. Right. Like the admirals, the captain of the, of the Discovery, the chief engineer, like everyone was all old white people. And I was like, that's an interesting choice. It It, it is. I mean, I think that. I, I, I very much noticed it watching this episode how how different the the cast looked and how the how the bridge crew looked than than some of the other shows but the people in power are old dudes uh, uh, or a, a couple and of one old woman one yeah, old one, white woman yeah. one old white woman but the one of the weird parts for me was watching uh, the captain uh, who is an English actor. Yeah. Playing this weird southern gentleman sort of yep. <laughs> in <Yep>. space. <laughs> and like the, that just added to this the oddness of of the the old white people in power dynamic. And his family business was making uh fortune cookies. Yeah. And he had a sensitivity to light. Yeah. Uh and like a lot so much <laughs> it was a very weird character. <laughs> I like it, it. It feel like they're just stacking the quirkiness on uh, as as many different quirky things as they can uh, on top of each other. But uh, up till this point in the show, it feels as if it's a. There's been so much set up that they're they're setting this up in a very different way than any other Star Trek show I've ever watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other Star Trek shows, you just sort of quickly set up the crew. And then you start exploring space, whereas this is like, no, they're setting up like not just the crew, but also this epic story between the Klingons and this like the unforgettable. What's his name? Uh, Tova, to, to, to the, the Klingon, yeah. <laughs> the, un- the, Kling- the one the who died, did, yeah. the one who died and the, the albino Klingon who's like locked on a dying, like an old broken down starship, like so much set up. For everything, she likes Alice in Wonderland. She has this old telescope. Uh, she was raised by Vulcans, but she's a human, and her parents were killed by Klingons, and the captain is in this business of fortune cookie. Like, all this stuff is being, so much is being set up that they're setting it up to, to be this epic story arc over, like, seven seasons, which uh, which they've never had never done before in Star Trek. And so a lot of it felt like, it felt like setup. 
Yeah. Which I think is bad setup. In a lot of ways, this makes me think of the the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek film, like the 2009 film called Star Trek. This this main character of Michael Burnham seems a lot like the Chris Pine character in like like in in how their worlds are set up in in the kind of arc that their that their characters are going to have. And Mm -hmm. And I, I think the the part for me that's kind of a little bit frustrating is that Chris Pine's character got command of a starship immediately, despite, you know, being the worst. <laughs> and 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 this main character, despite being vastly overqualified in comparison to Chris Pine's character, has no rank whatsoever and is, you know, a menial servant on on the starship. And, mm-hmm. and so I think that that conversation about diversity and how it plays out is is interesting in that sort of light as well. Yeah, because they they the yeah they they started with that great like the captain of the what was the first ship called the Shenzhou the Shenzhou um, the captain of the Shenzhou and Michael Burnham I don't remember the captain's name actually but uh, the two two women having this conversation in the desert together. And it was like, that's great. Look at this. Star Trek is opening with a scene with two women, uh, neither of which are white, having like in, in command of a starship. Like, wow, what a huge step in diversity on television. And then what ends up happening by the time you get to the fourth episode is that one of them is dead and their starship is destroyed and the other one is working, like you said, without rank on a ship run by an old white man. And it feels like, like, it, I don't know if they did that intentionally, but it felt like, well, I guess, I guess this is, it, it, we're going to start diverse and then kind of go back to the standard. Yeah, yeah. As as an arc, I'm I'm not entirely satisfied with it. I mean, mm-hmm. I like, uh, I I I agree with you. I like the Shenzhou with the original crew. I thought that that was such an interesting setup, and I liked. I liked Saru as this alien, you know, second or third officer sort of character mm-hmm. uh, on there. But I, it, it felt like they were they were very deliberately trying to do something completely different with the cast. And then you're right by the third and fourth episode, it's like, well, you know, this looks roughly the same. But we made the alien the first officer. Yeah, we got an alien first officer. Yeah, uh, which is the only alien really on the ship. That we see. Well, there's also um, the robot on the bridge crew that I think is going to be a character. Yeah, maybe. That's something they started in the J.J. Abrams world is this robot on the bridge. But whatevs. Yeah, so they, so, I don't know. As far as diversity goes, I think it's a step forward, but it feels also kind of like a step, a side, they sidestepped around it instead of stepping forward, like, into it. Or they were like, hey, look at all this diversity. Now let's just do Star Trek. And Star Trek has always been a, a stepping forward for diversity and inclusion kind of sh- world anyway like they they had like uh, ahura was the first black woman she was a black woman on the bridge of a starship and i think that was what martin luther king said to her when she wanted to resign he said you can't you're the first black you're a black woman on the bridge of a starship and so she did didn't and in doing so inspired people like Whoopi goldberg to become who they are uh and so that's something that star trek should be doing all the time and i feel like the show is is doing it but they could have they they didn't want to do it Full out, I guess. Well, or maybe they wanted to make, or, or else they wanted to make that the arc of the series about diversity, you know. And eventually, she's going to get her own starship, which, which again, it makes it like drawing, like making it part of the story instead of just like, no, no, just be diverse. Like that's what Star Trek does. 
I I mean I think the I, I I think that they wanted to have diversity in the cast and they wanted to show uh, a, a cast and crew that better represented the the world that we live in both now and lived in in the 60s but um but they were very interested in telling this particular story and they thought that this story required certain things out of the character that um removed they, they are no i think that that's that's it they were just straight up more interested in the story than continuing the the fo following through with the diversity in the way that other star treks have yeah and something missy pointed out um to me is that the captain's evil right he's like a warmonger he's a bad guy and so that might have been why they made him a white guy that's true because if they took a step for diversity and were like, no, 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 he's going to be like a uh, a gay black man and then made him an evil warmonger, that's like a huge step backwards for diversity. Well, and if you remember Deep Space Nine, like some of the complaints about Cisco were uh, were that they wrote him into the magical Negro stereotype. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, and that Janeway, uh, Janeway was too much of a uh, too much of a bitch as a captain. Like these mm -hmm. are these are the sorts of things that people attacked other other Star Treks for. So maybe I mean I think that's actually a really valid point by Missy. Yeah, if they if they made his, the captain a diverse character, then he would have we would be making whatever he ends up being evil. And that's you know we, why not just make him a white guy if we're gonna make him evil. Then we can evil white guys are allowed. That's that's a that's a thing. Yeah, they, they, that they exist. Yeah, most most of the white guys have been evil. Sorry. Yeah. Most evil people. You know what I'm trying to say. Most evil people are white. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It was it was, it's it's it. Uh, I, I'm ex I, I'm looking forward to in this show, the first episode that I watch that doesn't feel like they're setting up the next episode. Mm -hmm. That just feels like this is a good episode of television. And every because so far every episode I've seen, including this one, feels like it's setting up the rest of the series instead of just being an awesome piece of television to watch, which is what I think Deep Space Nine did well, was that every episode was just like a good episode that happened to set up the next one. Yeah. Right. With exception to the first episode. First episode, of course, it's set up the pilot. It's always set up. But but moving forward from that point, you would hope that it starts. It feels like a show that you're watching. Like I mean, the the thing a writer friend of mine told me once is that if you're, if 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 when when your people are reading your book or your short story, if they feel like you're telling them a story, it's not very good writing. They should just be reading and enjoying what they're reading, and through that, you, they they get told a story. Hmm. You know, and so this felt like it was just like they're telling me a story. They're setting up stuff. This is so much setup. Well, and it makes me think, and I I said it already, but it makes me think of Battlestar Galactica. How it had the three-hour miniseries to, that kind of set up the world that everything was in, and then they threw us into what is probably still the best episode of the series, thirty-three, which is the one of the thirty-three minutes. Every thirty-three minutes, the, the yeah. they'd have to jump again. Yeah, yeah, and it's a was... great episode of television that isn't isn't about oh well we're throwing forward to the next thing. It's this is what's happening this week and we have to deal with it and and it's it's a great episode of television and and you're right i think we're still waiting for that with star trek discovery yeah hmm cool yeah i'm looking forward to where the show goes 
yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it too. But I think it's time to uh, wrap up the podcast and take our voyage home. <laughs> That's funny. You know what I was going to say at the end here? What's that? Based, based on this conversation. It's actually it's an old Vulcan proverb. It can only be what it is, not what you want it to be. Oh, that's really sweet and poetic. I thought you were going to go with only Nixon could go to China. Next week's one-off, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Season 2, Episode 22, The Chopper. <laughs>